This is Robert Mertmach, C21 Canada podcast series in conversation with Dr. Bonnie Schmidt, founder and president. Let's talk science. Spotlight on science learning snapshot of a decade uh, this afternoon. Thank you for joining me, Dr. Schmidt. <laughs> really, Bonnie, please. I'm thrilled to be here with you today, Robert. Oh, thank you, Bonnie. <laughs> a little bit about Bonnie Schmidt. As the founder and president of Let's Talk Science, an award-winning national charitable organization that she began while completing her PhD in psychology at Western University. And uh, they've served an estimated 10 million children, youth and educators have been impacted by Let's Talk Science. It's, it's an inception. And Bonnie Schmidt is also a member of the C21 Board of Advisors. Well, congratulations on the recent release of two reports. And uh, talk to me about the inspiration, a decade uh, you're looking back and uh, are we making progress? Oh, for sure. So first of all, I'm going to do a shameless plug. Here's sure, the cover. Props are always good. Props are always welcome. It. Right. I can't Available wait to get my our, copy. <laughs> Available on a website, English and French. And we did this in partnership with Amgen Canada. So Let's Talk Science has been offering programming for almost 30 years, actually, formally. But we've also been known for our work in advocacy and looking at data. How can we tell the story about why K-12 or actually early years to grade 12 science, tech, engineering and math programming is really important for the, the future? In 2012, we did our first Spotlight on Science Learning report and wanted to put forward the story of benchmarks that should be measured in order for us to keep track of what was happening in the ecosystem. So it wasn't just about what we were doing, but, you know, writ large, what's actually happening. 2022 rolls around and we th thought it's been a decade since we actually started the series. We've done a whole series of reports over the years looking at Amazing. a variety of, yeah, looking at a variety of topics used and cited by all sorts of organizations, policy makers, policy documents and whatnot. But we thought with the 10 years and having just, are we out of COVID yet? I'm, I'm not sure, maybe coming out of COVID the world has changed so much that we wanted to use the opportunity to look at what has changed, what hasn't changed, and what needs to change to be thinking about the importance of science learning, STEM learning, and how we can be developing the citizens and uh, scholars and workers of the future. So with this report, we really, yeah, we just looked at, at publicly available data. So this is not primary research, but it was really taking a look at what was out there. Things have changed. Um, in some areas, it's actually pretty exciting to see uh, STEM itself doesn't need to be defined, right? In 2012, right. we had to write this long definition about what did STEM actually stand for. And now it's really become its own marketing brand. So right. public and awareness. And embedded in K-12 education pretty much across Canada. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah, so so the brand is there. And we also did a poll with Environics to look at 
the percentage of adults that really felt STEM education was important for their their young people, and it was over ninety five percent agreed with Crazy. that statement. Right. So there, you know, the public understanding and embracing of it has has improved. STEM participation at post secondary has also increased by over ten percent. So that's been a big, big change. Um, what we did find, though, is that a large part of that increase, so that 10% increase, mm -hmm. quite a bit of it is accounted for by international students. So the domestic student participation right. has increased a little bit, but not, not nearly at the same level as international students to the post-secondary student now, programming. Now, I understand that... Um, from a, a STEM perspective that uh, women in STEM has been a big focus. How are we doing with encouraging women in STEM? Yes, so I'm gonna start off by saying it depends on how you define STEM. So the typically when we talk about the women in STEM issue, we're really focused on physical sciences, technology, engineering, mathematics. And unfortunately, women in engineering kind of hit a peak and then started to come down. We're still we're still leaning into gender disparities in that area. Mm -hmm. But if you broaden it to talk about STEM, also including life sciences, environmental sciences, you see the opposite phenomenon. So there's more women than men, but we don't talk about those medical sciences, environmental sciences, and, and race. So there's gender disparities right. that really do need to be addressed on both sides of the equation, but different subsections of the STEM disciplines. So some things have changed and some haven't. So we have work to do. Your job's not done yet. No. I, I would actually say, too, that what hasn't changed that has been deeply disappointing to me has been the participation rates in the grade 12 peer science courses at so at in grade 12 and right they you know kids are saying they want to lean into multidisciplinary issues based focused programs but we're still largely teaching biology chemistry physics and math mm. participation rate is not it's been pretty much the stable over the last 10 years. And computer science, an area that we are saying is, is quite important for the future, has only got about 3% of young people graduating with a senior credit in computer science. So it's not even whether it's male or female, it's that we just don't have nearly enough mm -hmm. kids thinking about that. So that hasn't changed. And that gatekeeper between high school and university, because we know that our culture really dictates high school teachers to teach to getting into post-secondary, largely skewing towards university when you're thinking about right. the sciences, at least culturally, right? That's what we, we keep doing. Right. So the admissions aren't changing all that much at post-secondary, and that is not unlocking some of the change at high school that we are seeing some really creative teachers and really creative boards trying to do in the earlier grades. They come back to the traditional sciences in grade 12 in order to get kids into the system at the next stage. So there's something in that area that mm -hmm. could change but it isn't changing. And it would be very interesting to think about what might happen, what might change in the next, maybe in the next 10 years as we go forward. Well, it, and it's a process as far as uh, acceptances to university and what that looks like. How do you assess students, you know, going to the next level? There's been a lot of 
chatter about that and um and what are what is the role of faculties of education in helping prepare teachers to have the competencies to to teach effectively and and encourage more participation in stem i like the notion of interdisciplinary because mm -hmm. it really is about problem solving and and life skills you know real world problems mm -hmm. you know and, Climate action, speaking of which, is a good segue. The other report we did. Yeah. So, you know, as a parent, yeah. this is an area that's becoming more and more important to me because I'm thinking about legacy and my kids, and I want them to live in a world that is not depleted, that, that we can hopefully improve on as opposed to continuing to degrade. Mm-hmm. So we did a, a paper also available on our website called the Climate Action Lab, and it was really an exciting opportunity for us. We brought 85 high school students and 16 university coaches together from coast to coast to coast, very diverse uh, team. And we had them in 12 teams who over the course of about six weeks or so tested, did a, a variety of ethnographic research to try to understand what are the barriers and the opportunities for teen engagement in positive climate action. And what we found was reinforcing in of some work we had done a few years ago, if you remember our Canada 2067 work. Absolutely. In which we I remember were trying the launch of that. Yeah. And well, right. that's also available on the website because it's all actually starting to come together in a really right. nice story. But in Canada 2067, when we held high school student summits right across the country, they were really leaning in and advocating for multidisciplinary issues-based mm. programming that brought the sciences, the arts, the humanities, everything together to really think about issues-based uh, concepts that they can actually get behind. And we saw that validated with the Climate Action Lab. So we, we heard from young people that multidisciplinary issues focused is super important for them. They also would like a little bit more uncoupling between the idea of eco-anxiety and positive action. We really had the the sense that 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 we're almost too much uh, provoking anxiety when and, and talking about big abstract mm, issues like right. greenhouse gas emissions when we're mm -hmm. trying to get teens to lean in as opposed to uh, talking about positive things that individuals and groups can make they feel a bit abandoned by government by industry they're not seeing enough progress happen and because we regularly talk about big things like emissions, right? They're not really seeing how they and their individual actions can make a difference or how their voice will right. actually be heard. So having young people at the table, recognizing that their voices are important, thinking more about issues-based multidisciplinary courses, opportunities for land-based learning actually came through pretty loud and wow. a strong interest in, in incorporating indigenous ways of knowing from young people was was really, really important. They, they still are leaning into their teachers. Their teachers are very important mentors and coaches uh, for them and from their perspective, Absolutely. but they want 
they want educators who are really passionate and interested in, in the topic and can help provide them you know, with that opportunity to get actively engaged in, in positive action. So for us at Let's Talk Science, this kind of work is really starting to frame it's validating some of the work that we have been doing when we've been in incorporating teen attitudes towards our programming far more often now. Um, and, and thinking about how do we take that next step to empower, embolden, right. and help them realize that they're, they're talented, passionate young people who really need to be heard. And giving them agency. Absolutely. Challenge-based challenge mm -hmm. learning, problem-based mm -hmm. learning. What, um, what key trends do you see moving forward in education? <laughs> well, I, I'm seeing a use of technology for sure. And, and but teachers may be wondering when to use the technology in meaningful ways. I think we're going to see some really creative applications of, of looking at maybe group-based learning through technology as opposed to it just being the transmission tool, right? Like when, when kids were sent home and they were participating as listeners or viewers, right. you start to see some really interesting uh, opportunities. What we've experienced is uh, teachers who want more from the engagement that through the beginning part of the pandemic, it was like good enough, send us good enough, we need to, we need to deal with this, to educators who have become much more uh, capable and well-versed in using technology in really meaningful ways. And so that's made us up our game, right? It's no longer good enough to just deliver something quickly through technology. It's how do you actually have interactive programming that young people can engage with, that teachers can engage with, and really becomes the medium, not the end point, right? So it's, it's definitely made us up our game. The other area, if we're looking at uh, science and technology, it is actually getting away from language of the traditional pure sciences to be looking at one health, to be looking at right. sustainable development, to be looking at the circular economy, right? So these bigger trends that are happening in the forefront of science and technology, genomic sciences that actually brings right. things together is a very, very big and important uh, movement. I wouldn't actually say it's a trend, but mm. that's how the science community is, is integrating and looking at challenges of the future. And we really need to think differently and do better, I think, to make sure that young people are prepared for those challenge questions. Climate change, circular right. economy, it's all really connected. We're not using that language in 100%. the uh, K-12 system. Yeah, You know, um, one of our uh, entrepreneurs and residents recently returned from India. He's uh, Dr. Amon Iqbal, who uh, is an Oxford PhD in pharma and had a startup at Mars, sold that. Now he's looking at longevity tech, hmm. longevity tech. And one of my other board members at Canaccord Capital is focused on health tech as a sector. So, um, you know, which encompasses science in a big way. And so there's opportunities in terms of careers of the future. Let's perhaps touch on that because there's some pretty cool gigs, including, you know, astronaut uh, Hatfield, who happens to be part of Team Canada soccer right now. I don't know how he got that gig, but, uh, you know, having an astronaut uh, license uh, 
opens some doors for you, doesn't it? Well, I have to say our astronaut corps is multi-talented for sure. That that yeah. team is absolutely amazing. I think you touched on something that's really important, and it's understanding jobs of the future. Mm -hmm. And it's not just about the traditional jobs. So some of the work that we have been doing has been really in response to young people needing to understand the breadth and diversity of opportunities that are mm -hmm. available and will be available, especially when, you know, who knows exactly where things are going to go, but you, you know, health tech is definitely going to be a, a huge area. Sustainable energy sources, mm -hmm. big, big transition. How are we going to mm -hmm. be dealing with building and manufacturing, you know, construction in entirely new ways? So not only will there be new types of fields emerging, but there's going to be a total rethink of fields that have been around for a long mm -hmm. time and are, are not, they shouldn't be deemed as traditional. No. So young people are disengaging too early in large part because they're not seeing the relevance today and they're not right. seeing the pathway to a future. So, yes, you're right. We're, we'll be actually kicking off our 30th anniversary next year, next school year. But our, I think our work is more important. That's incredible. Now. We, I know. I we just celebrated 10th <laughs> anniversary at C21 and you're. Well ahead of us, Bonnie. You started this in high school? In it? high school, elementary school, Robert. Yes. Yeah, yeah, long, long, yeah. Amazing. Well, <laughs> kudos to you for your Thank passion you. and making an impact. Talk, talk to me about the importance of partnerships because you couldn't do it without some of the incredible partnerships. I, I'm writing a, a book, The Art of Networking in the Digital Age, which is going to encompass partnerships. I think I should be consulting you to, to write that, that chapter. Well, I would say collaborative spirit is one of our core values at Let's Talk Science. And you're absolutely right that there's no way we're ever going to make the kind of system impact that we aspire to make if we don't have a very big sandbox and see ourselves as catalyzing engagement between the science, tech, engineering, math community and education. So we work with, for example, 55 universities and colleges to deliver our outreach program. We work with other organizations like Genome Canada, Stem Cell Network, Arctic Net, the Space Agency, the Royal Society of Canada. And I can go on and on and on to help with knowledge, mobilization and translation. This is a culture issue. This isn't just about trying to get more students in grade four to lean into science. This is about how do we build a country? How do we have citizens who are there? How do we ensure that every one of our six and a half million kids in this country have the opportunities they deserve. So working together, we actually can reach coast to coast to coast, English, French, and many other languages, support our First Nations, Métis, and Inuit communities, support uh, historically marginalized audiences. It, it really needs an approach that is fully integrated and engages as many people as possible in this uh, great challenge to build a better country. Well, well said. Kudos to you for Thanks. your uh, 30 years of uh, impact and, and being agile and, and really, you know, adapting when you had to innovation mm -hmm. and uh, that growth mindset is, you know, part of your DNA. And listening, right? So yes. we've responded over the years to, yes. to help teachers 
when they've asked us and pointed out what they've needed. So massive gratitude to the educators and the school Absolutely. boards and the, and the kids and parents in our community that really are directing us as to where we should be going next. Super helpful. Well, Ken is lucky to have you. And uh, thank you so much for your time this afternoon, Bonnie. Thanks, Robert. That was Dr. Bonnie Smith, the founder and president of Let's Talk Science. My name is Robert Mardlachi, uh, founder, uh, co-founder and CEO of C21 Canada. And this concludes our Canada Learning Series podcast, accelerating the changes that matter for K-12 learners in Canada. Be sure to check out c21canada.org for your latest news in innovation and education in Canada. And until next time, stay healthy, stay safe, and keep the learning curve steep.